It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. And welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, someone said to me the other day that we should have uh, writer music starting the show. Uh, I I may listen to them, but in the meantime, uh, my engineer loves this, so we're going to go with it. I don't know, Don. I'm a fan of the piano. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We have Rob uh, Ray joining us today. He's head of White Box which is a very unusual and, to me, interesting uh, sampling program. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But as always, we ask our guests to say a little bit about themselves personally before we get into anything else. Welcome to the program, Rob. Thanks for having me, Don. So just to give you a little bit of background. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's what I was just about to say. Go ahead. Yes. So I got started in the business world because uh, I wasn't really doing well with school, and I knew a long-term career in academics wasn't my thing. So uh, after I got out of high school, I decided to start. I, I worked briefly for a few months at some uh, retail stores, and then decided to start uh, specifically at CompUSA. And I decided to start my own company about six months after I got out of high school. And we were doing like. IT services and business process automation for a hundred companies around the Baltimore and, and Washington DC area. So, you know, that's kind of a little bit of my, my, my background. I've all been self-taught in 2005. I started working on a uh, electronics company called MP3 car and we uh, import and export hard to find electronics parts all over the world. And then just recently, uh, I used a lot of the lessons and so forth that we've learned at MP3 car to start my third company, which is called White Box, and, and I think you got our sample kit from that. Well, tell us about White Box. Uh, I got your product, and I think it's great, but tell the audience about White Box. Yeah, so uh, MP3 Car, uh, in order to tell a story about White Box, I should talk a little bit about MP3 Car. So MP3 Car uh, started in the late 90s, and the only way to ship, uh, the only way to put MP3s into your car in the late 90s, early 2000s, was to put a full desktop PC in the car. So we ended up with this big online community, and they all wanted these parts to put MP3s in their car. So we launched this online store to sell uh, all these engineers and hobbyists that wanted to play MP3s in their car. And this is, of course, before the iPod came out. Uh, So we launched the store to sell them the hard-to-find parts. They could listen to their MP3s. And we learned that that was a very gigantic task, uh, especially at that time. But even now, if you want to go buy something online, uh, there's about 100 things that have to happen between when you click the buy button on an order and when that box shows up in order for you to have like a, a successful, happy experience. Um, so with that context, MP3 car was, was really struggling to be profitable because the electronics industry is super low margin. One of the things you talked about was cash flow. And if you have super low margins, um, it's, it's hard to maintain your your cash flow unless you're super efficient and you have super streamlined operations. So I was actually thinking about uh, selling Rob, the company. Can I, 
Yeah, go ahead. Can I ask you a stupid question? An MP3, sure. are we talking about, what are we talking about when you say that? Well. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure I know what it is, but I don't. For for those of the uh, for, for people that were into electronics in the late 90s, early 2000s, MP3 is really like the, it's the compressed audio file uh, that's really the basis for storing audio on an on an iPod. So it's just compressed audio is is what an MP3 oh. is. And so okay. the, the big demand in the late 90s, early 2000s was to get music in your car and not have to have a hundred disc CD changer. Okay, and, and that's now why that's why the, that's why the iPod was so successful, right? Steve Jobs was onto something. Um, but so I'm I'm to, to talk about Whitebox. Really, we built Whitebox to automate a lot of the, the struggles that we were having with MP3 card. So what Whitebox does is we will take a manufacturer's products, um, we run them through a quality control process, we put their products on Amazon and on eBay. Uh, we help them export internationally. We handle all of the grunt work that's associated with running an online store. So what we sent you was a couple of samples from some of our clients where we've helped them grow and uh, automate their processes. And, and many of them, we've increased their sales by double-digit percentages by streamlining their, their processes and, and uh, automating as much as possible. So we really act as the full e-commerce department and handle everything from customer service, shipping, launching the store, quality control, and uh, just online reputation management. So, so in other words, if I have a product, and, uh, and rather than set up my own store and everything else, uh, I, I hand it over to you and you manage it for me. Yeah, that's right. And we looked around for something that was like Whitebox before we built it um, because we, we felt like there was a huge demand. And we found hundreds of tools that were, were out there that would help you run successfully an e-commerce store. But they, they, didn't really, they didn't often work well together. So if you're trying to get reports about how to make decisions or maybe you're not technically uh, – you, you don't want to spend a lot of time – managing software and linking software and that sort of thing. There wasn't one easy-to-use package. No. Well, that, that's, a great, that's a great service. Uh, it, it, you, you know, this world is really changing. If you have a product, you, almost, uh, you can set up your company in the cloud. You can do everything. And now you can even uh, have your, your own uh, management of the sales. But should you also have your own website? Oh, I think absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so oftentimes other, for – go ahead. So in other words, I, I would set up my, set, my e-commerce site, the front end, and you do all the back end. Exactly. We kind of handle all the grunt work that's associated uh, with running an e-commerce store. So anytime an order comes in, we're going to process it. We're going to check to make sure there's no fraud. We're going to ship it out. We're going to make sure the customer gets the tracking number. Um, if there's bad feedback about it, we're going to pass that back through to you or, or work with you to change product descriptions. So we, we really act as the, the e-commerce manager. If, if someone were to have a vice president of e-commerce, we basically will, would do that job for anyone that's kind of shipping a product, as long as it's smaller than a kayak and uh, is not perishable. Aren't you com competing a little bit with the Amazon store? Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned that. We actually license space from Amazon's warehouse, and one of our services is to help our clients get on Amazon. So uh, if any of your listeners have tried this, you probably know they probably know how complex Amazon systems are. So we, we kind of cut through all of that. We handle all of the listings on the Amazon marketplace. And actually, we'll use the same pool that, of inventory that sits in the Amazon warehouse and use that to help fulfill orders on someone's store or on eBay. So if, for the folks that are concerned about cash flow management, really it, it saves you from having multiple uh, s sets of inventory in order to support multiple sales channels. Well, that's a 
great boon for small business people. I I think so. I mean, we, it worked really well for us. Actually, at MP3 Car, we ended up uh, quadrupling our sales after we, we put these systems in place. And once that happened to us, I thought, well, you know what? We really should launch this company to help other folks uh, have the same level of uh, growth that we had. How long have you been in business with this white white box? We've been quietly testing this with about 30 clients for the last two years. Uh, and uh, just recently, we decided to, that it was time to do a press release, which is why you got our sample box. Well, now, uh, how, how does a small business pay you? Is it a percentage of sales? How, how does it, that your pay schedule work? Yeah, so we get paid 10% of gross sales. Uh, and if we get a, a fee from a vendor, like if there's a shipping fee or a credit card processing fee, we pass those along at our cost. But our our fee to run all of your e-commerce channels is 10% of gross sales. But do you have to have a minimum amount of sales? We like to see people that are in high growth mode. Um, generally, if someone's not uh, approaching $100,000, they're probably uh, too small for us. But for the most part, uh, you know, we've taken some smaller sellers and helped them help them grow a lot too. So it's a bit on a case by case basis. If someone has a, a big brand, it's maybe selling a lot in other areas, but they haven't quite figured out the online yet. That's that's probably those are you know that's an example of somebody that we can help. Well, how do how do you decide? Um, you, you say that, but you, you're you're looking at high growth. I I, I run into an awful lot of uh, smaller entrepreneurs. Uh, uh, that, in two weeks, I have one that has what I think is a great product, but she, she's starting small, uh, and and she just told me today that she's spending the money to put together an e-commerce cart, mm-hmm. um, and I hope she's listening to the program, because it seems that um, you would be ideal because you would take a lot of the work away from her, and and but she's yeah in the nascent stage of her uh, existence that's okay we can help smaller businesses too when i say high growth i mean that i want to work with businesses that are or manufacturers that are really looking to expand their sales and aren't looking to uh you know to, to just want people to be to to grow they want to grow and be interested in if there's feedback that's coming in from customers, we need a business owner to be receptive to making changes based on what's what's coming in. Uh, and if someone's not engaged in their business and looking to, to milk it out for the final years, that's probably not a good fit for us. But anyone that's really looking to drive revenues, uh, maybe reach new global markets, those are the types of people or, or, or manufacturers or products that, that we would love to engage with. Um, so I wouldn't be too scared about the high growth Thing. It's more of a, a, a mentality of the, of, of the team. Well, one of the biggest problems, uh, I ran into a woman in Tennessee that was doing 90% of her business overseas. It was in a cosmetic line. Mm-hmm. And part of her problem was all of collecting the monies and repatriating and all that other stuff. Uh, how do you handle that? And how do you make it easier for the client? So we do all of the fraud processing and all the the money collection. Um, and if we actually have a number of overseas clients that we help out. We have uh, one in uh, Tunisia, uh, Japan, and uh, let's see, Latvia, United Kingdom. And so uh, we send them wire transfers uh, based on what is sold, less the, the fees, and... Um, and uh, so that works out. I, I, I think it, it's a pretty frictionless transaction. They send us product, and we send them a, a check uh, once a month. But do you also do it the other way around? Domestic uh, people who are selling overseas. Oh, many of yeah. Well, so what we do with our our overseas stuff is we really like to work with a brand 
so we get to know the brand pretty well before we take a brand overseas. So if you haven't worked out a quality control problem or a documentation problem, and then you try and translate it to Japanese uh, or French or whatever market you're trying to target, any of those problems get magnified 10 times. So let's just say you forgot to document how to open the battery case on an electronics item, right? Or, or maybe that's not... You name the problem that people have with products, and if you haven't done a good job properly photographing that or including it in your documentation, people are going to, to complain, especially if you're selling thousands of units of it. And then once that gets goes through a translation process and is in a foreign language, the costs to fix any of those problems are about 10 times they would if it was a domestic uh, vendor. So we like to become a little bit familiar with them domestically and then help folks uh, expand internationally. This is this is fascinating to me. I'm sitting here a little open mouth, mouth because uh, I know the, the biggest single problem that a new startup or one in the nascent stages is the ability to get distribution, the ability to manage all this. And it seems you're doing that for them. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, that's right. And not only do we work with startups, we also have some multi-million dollar companies that we work with too, where, you know, it's a lot of work. Even if you have millions of dollars of resources to go build out your own e-commerce team, it's a lot to go find a warehouse, build quality control processes, manage the reputation, you know, manage fraud, uh, you know, manage inventory. So, like, if you want to have good books and have good accrual accounting, even for a multi-million dollar company with resources, that stuff is, is very difficult. And so we have a few clients, a lot of our clients fall in that multi-million dollar category as well. Well, let's talk about fraud for a moment. Uh, sure. Are you seeing a, a trend? I, something just came across my desk uh, uh, this afternoon about that fraud in, in the industry is starting to uh, ramp up a little bit. Are you seeing that? I think that fraud is much better than it was a decade ago. I mean, people might see a little bit of blips um, with, with fraud. I think the bigger threat in general is, is like identity theft uh, and, and other problems with, with our with our banking system. I, I, the the e-commerce apps that process fraud have gotten a lot better than, than they used to be. Um, so it is a small issue, but I don't think unless you're selling diamonds uh, or, or high value, you know, multi-thousand dollar items, I think it's less of an issue now um, th than it was uh you know, even five years ago. Are you primarily uh, shipping to the consumers? Do you also ship, uh, like, distributors uh, for companies as well? So uh, we could ship to distributors if, if somebody wanted to, but most of what we do, that, that part is easier. Because if you're shipping to a distributor, the distributor is probably going to order a pallet of stuff or a container of stuff. And that is relatively easy so a lot of times businesses have processes in place for that. I think the harder part is when you're shipping out hundreds of orders a day um, all over the world, that, and, and that's where more difficulty comes in. And so we like hard problems, and so that's kind of where we add the most value. If someone came to us and said, hey, you know what, we love it for you to ship to our distributors, we could do that too. But that's not where we add the most value. Well, in your experience, what are the three things you tell uh, potential clients that are important in setting up this operation and setting up uh, the e-commerce? Um, well, I think it's important to take a look at what your overall business goals are. Um, some folks decide to enter the e-commerce market because they are looking for a new revenue channel. Uh, some folks, if it's a smaller product or maybe that's lower margin, they're just looking to enter the market for brand exposure. So I think it's really important to look at um, what you expect out of getting involved with, with e-commerce 
and, and what, what constitutes success and communicate that with your team, whether that's your internal team or your vendor, kind of set what you think is, is would, would be considered a success before you do that. Um, as far as other items are concerned, I think, I think the other thing that's really important is uh, monitoring how well your, your team is doing and how well your products are doing. Because if you don't monitor the reactions of your customers, uh, reputation is the most uh, expensive thing that you can squander. And I think it's really important to react quickly to customer feedback um, and either improve your product descriptions or if, ha- if you have to, go through and, and improve products to your manufacturing, improve components of your manufacturing process. Um, can I just can I just interrupt you there? Do you provide yeah. feedback uh, if you start to see a lot of returns or you get get a lot of customer complaints? Do you provide that back to your clients? Yeah, and that's one of the advantages of of, of working with us. It's like, yeah, we'll pull that feedback in real time. And um, you know, if a, if a product manager wants to call a customer that's had a, a negative experience, um, maybe you've had a handful of customers that have said the same thing over and over again, you know, there's an opportunity for the product manager or an owner to say, hey, I, I saw that you had a problem here. You know, tell me more about that. You know, how could we have made this better for you? And I think for the for the people that don't do that, uh, you know, there's a, a very high risk, especially with, you know, fast-paced internet sales and so forth and, and online reputation to very quickly squander your brand value. Talking with Rob Ray, W R A Y. He's the head of CEO of uh, White Box. Uh, Rob, we, we're almost at the end. How can people, your website, and how can people t- uh, reach you? Yeah, so our website is whitebox.co. There's no M, it's just whitebox.co. Um, and on there, you'll find our phone number and if you wanted to get a quote for the size of your product and the weight of your product, we have a little tool to estimate how much all the shipping and other things might be. Um, and, and lots of, some of our customer success stories are there too. So, yeah. And, and, oh, by the way, if anybody wants to chat about this stuff, we'd love to hear from you. Even if you aren't sure if you'd love, you want to use our service, feel free to drop us a note. We, we love learning about other people's business. So even if you don't think it's a good fit, we'd love to hear from you. Rob, really great having you on the program. I want you to come back next year and talk about it as you progress in the in into this uh, uh, new, relatively new area. And certainly, uh, you're offering a product that uh, a lot of uh, and a service that a lot of people need. Well, Don, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to coming back. Please, we'll stay in touch. All right, sounds good. Have a good day. You too. Chris. Rush. Hi, Don. How are you, Chris? Good, Don. How are you Division doing Vice. I'm doing great. You won't even let me tell you the, your title, Division Vice President of Strategy at ADP Small Business Services. What are we going to talk about today, Chris? But before we do, tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we do anything else. Sure, Don. Uh, thank you uh, for having me, and I'm really excited uh, to be here. So, um, as you uh, mentioned, I'm the head of strategy for ADP Small Business Services. I've been with ADP for about uh, five and a half years. Uh, you know, I came to ADP because I had a passion for small business. I actually tried starting my own business at one point in my career. Uh, and, you know, I've been with ADP, like I said, for about five and a half years. I was a McKinsey consultant for a few years before then. And then I started my career as an engineer uh, in optics and electrical engineering. Wow. So now you're here uh, at ADP. I think this is National Payroll Month. Yeah, it was National Payroll Week, uh, September uh, 7th uh, through the 11th. Okay. Uh, So uh, everybody knows ADP for payroll. Mm -hmm. So tell us what... Some of the things that you think are important when, when looking at payroll, when doing payroll, when choosing pay, a payroll provider, all of that. 
Sure. Um, you know, so, you know, one of the things I was going to talk to you guys a little bit about or your listeners about was, um, you know, some of the important or, or, or challenges companies have uh, doing payroll. Uh, you know, as you can imagine, we have about, you know, 630,000 clients at ADP, and so we get a lot of questions about, you know, payroll and, you know, some of the challenges they have. And there's a lot of questions, uh, quite frankly, we get around, um, you know, uh, classifying workers properly, uh, you know, exempt versus non-exempt, you know, so salaried workers versus uh, hourly workers. Uh, we also get a lot of questions within that around uh, things like overtime. You know, do you have to pay, for example, do you have to pay managers uh, overtime? And, you know, it depends, right? It depends on, you know, obviously if they're a non-exempt employee, uh, you're going to have to pay them uh, for every hour they work, and so they're going to qualify for overtime. Uh, we also get, you know, questions about, you know, can you comp people time uh, for overtime? Uh, and the answer is no for non-exempt employees. You can't, uh, you know, comp them uh, for their overtime. Uh, and then, you know, we even get questions from people like, you know, what's considered overtime? Is it one minute, 15 minutes, half an hour? And, again, this is an answer where, you know, we see a lot of people make mistakes around this, but the reality is, you know, any minute an, a non-exempt employee works over 40 hours, you know, that's considered um, uh, overtime. Uh, well, we also have questions... Uh, around well, I have a question for you. Sure, go ahead, which, Actually, I just got it from uh, uh, someone who sent, just sent me an email. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, contract employees and yep. what represents an employee. Yep. When it, could you go into that a little bit? Because, uh, as I say, it just came across my uh, uh, email box, so uh, perhaps you could talk about it. Yeah, Don. So that's, again, another area where, uh, you know, we see people, um, you know, fall into uh, a little bit of a trap there. So really, you know, a contract employee, really, it really has to do with, um, you know, self-employed individuals, you know, that are offering their services, you know, under a term specified in a contract, right? So it's going to come down to, you know, tests around, you know, the control that the employer has over that kind of work, you know, the permanency of the actual relationship, you know, the type of work performed. Uh, it's governed by, you know, federal law as well as, you know, a lot of cases, you know, we see these things governed by state law. Uh, there's no, unfortunately, there's no easy, uh, hard, fast, you know, rule. You know, but a lot of it is what they, you know, like they call common law tests. So as you start thinking about it, uh, you know, for example, if you as an employer are exerting control over the individual, then they're not a contractor, right? They're an employee of your firm. Uh, you know, particularly like if you start to specify the way they have to do the work or, you know, when they have to do the work or how they do their work, then it becomes an issue of control. And, you know, that worker is no longer considered a contractor. Well, yeah, you know, in California, Uber uh, just lost a, a case, mm-hmm. and they also lost one, ironically, in, in France. About this, what is now being called, I think, the disruptive economy, um, or the shared economy. That's it. Sure. Uh, where the uh, have you run into that, and uh, have you, do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say. Um, we get a lot of questions about, you know, contractors in particular. Uh, I don't have any real comments on the, you know, Uber case uh, in particular around, um, you know, where that might go. Um, so, no, I haven't personally had as much uh, interaction uh, around that particular dimension of the law. I'm sorry. I just thought I'd ask you because it, it, it's certainly uh, getting to be more and more uh, the so-called share economy, sharing your room, sharing yep. everything. But I'm I'm not going to stop interrupting you and let you pick the topic and let you go at it. And I promise not to interrupt you. <laughs> no, this is good. This is great dialogue. Um, you know, another. You know, so I started talking a little bit about um, some of the you know common questions we get asked at ADP, and you know we've you know pulling this a little bit from some questions we were asked during a recent webinar series that we ran on. You know, uh, you know. Do you have to pay your employees for that? So I talked a lot about, you know, a lot of questions we get around overtime. Uh, we also get a lot of questions around 
you know, different tasks from small business owners, and so there's a lot of confusion around, you know, for example, you know, if you're having a holiday party, you know, do you have to pay the employees for attending your holiday party? And again, this is another area where if you're dealing with hourly or what we call non-exempt employees, you know, the answer is yes. If it's required or it's during, um, you know, normal hours, then the answer is yes. You know, we often get questions around training. You know, do I have to pay employees for, you know, training that they're going to attend? Uh, and again, the answer is if they're a hourly employee, the answer is yes. Uh, you know, you need to be paying your employees for any training that's required for the job or training that's, you know, uh, during normal business hours. You know, we even get asked like questions like, hey, my employees are checking email after hours. You know, do, do I have to pay them for that time? Uh, and again, the answer is if they're an hourly employee, yes. Uh, so as a general rule, you know, a lot of these different tasks that employees do, uh, particularly for hourly employees, anytime that they're working for you, you know, you're subject to paying them, you're subject to paying them over the time as well uh, when they get over 40 hours. Uh, and then, like, another area of questions that we get is, like, you know, how do we pay employees or, you know, what can, you know, in terms of how we pay our employees, uh, what can we do? And, and a common question that comes up from small businesses is, do I have, can I require my employees to accept direct deposit? Um, and the answer is no. Uh, and that varies state by state. You know, there are some states, you know, like California, where you're going to have to have the consent of the employee in order to offer, uh, you know, to offer them direct deposit. So you can't require your employees to actually uh, take direct deposit. Uh, same thing with, like, final pay. You know, if you decided to ultimately terminate an employee, and, you know, unfortunately that does happen, uh, you know, the federal law says, hey, you have to give your, you know, final pay by the, you know, next payday, but some states, you know, they have much shorter time frames. So I think you kind of started out asking me, like, some of the common, you know, questions we get, and those are some of the top areas um, uh, that, uh, you know, we get questioned on. Uh, in terms of, you know, best practice, you know, for your listeners, you know, again, I would go back to, you know, make sure that, um, you know, you're properly classifying your workers, you know, versus hourly and and, and non-exempt and versus exempt, you know, make sure you're, you're uh, paying your non-exempt workers for every hour that they're working, uh, you know, m keep accurate and reliable timekeeping of your employees and keep those records on hand uh, to, you know, justify your case in case you ever are called on it. Uh, and then, you know, think about, you know, an employee handbook uh, to set forth, like, rules and regulations, you know, for your company. A lot, And we see a lot of small businesses don't have employee handbooks. You know, this is an opportunity for you to spell out those regulations and kind of, uh, you know, put some policies in place. Uh, and then, you know, as you're thinking about, um, you know, it's a complicated issue. So, you know, go out and, you know, seek the expertise of a third party like an ADP. Uh, you know, we can help you talk through and think through some of these issues. Well, I have to tell you, I sit on the board of a medical marijuana um, mm. dispensary here in New Jersey. Yep. Yep. And... Uh, We've just moved over our uh, payroll to to ADP, yep. and we have a very unusual problem in that the federal government only allows us to de deduct the expenses directly related to to the growing of the crop, but everything mm -hmm. else uh, we can't deduct. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going into the reclassification. It's a different kind type of reclassification, but uh, your people are trying to help us on that. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad we're uh, able to help you think through it. Um, Don, you also, I think you had a question for me, like, also when you're thinking about, I think you'd ask me about, if you're thinking about payroll, like how to select a provider, was that a question you had as well? Well, uh, that, very definitely. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, important part of all this, again, is it's, you know, the expertise and, and compliance. Um, you know, you want to start thinking about, you know, a provider who has experience in the business, you know, who's who's been at it for a while. I think you also want to take a look at, you know, technology uh, and look at the provider's technology, you know, as well as, you know, their ability to provide a, you know, holistic solution to you. So it's, so it's more than just payroll, right? You know, and, and this is something that, you know, at ADP, you know, we kind of take out a bigger picture of HR. You know, payroll is just one part of the overall relationship between, 
you know, the employer and the employee. Uh, you know, so it's, you know, like I said, it's the employee handbooks. It's helping you do hiring. It's, you know, providing that on-demand HR help when you need it. You know, those are the kinds of things that, you know, you really want out of your payroll provider, as well as, you know, other solutions like, you know, if you want to offer benefits to your employees, uh, such as retirement and insurance, uh, you know, those are things that, uh, you know, you should be thinking about. And then, you know, the ability to keep up with the ever-changing, you know, laws in the country, uh, both at the local, state, and federal level. Um, you know, there's thousands of laws being added every year, uh, and it, it's a challenge to keep up with all that. That's why you got a payroll processor like you. Hopefully you're keeping track of and keeping uh, our businesses uh, yeah. uh, as legal as we can be. Yeah, we have we have uh you know hundreds of you know people on staff uh constantly reviewing the payroll laws and uh not and again not just payroll, right? It's also HR laws uh and making sure our small businesses you know our small business clients uh, stay in compliance at all times. Let me ask you a, a different question. Sure. I, I know that um, the small business must put the money in before you pay it out. But what mm -hmm. happens, as, as uh, I heard of a recent case, where the, the small business did not put it in, yet the, uh, and I don't know who the processor paid the uh the employees. Yeah. What happens? If, what happens in that case? Who's responsible, and uh, is that a normal practice? Oh, is, are you referring to like just to be clear? Are you referring to taxes, tax payments? Is that what you're? Well, Go. in this case, they didn't. They didn't put the money in for the payroll. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, the employer is liable for all payroll and tax obligations. Um, you know, so if the employer, you know, if the money, if the employer doesn't pay the taxes, it's not the payroll processor. It's actually the employer who's liable. Now, um, I think what you're also asking me a little bit is what happens in the case where um, the employer uh, goes to pay the employees and the money isn't in the employer's account? Right. Yeah, so... so Again, it, it varies. So typically, what what it varies by provider, um, but you know, typically, what will happen in those cases, and again, part of this is also the way money is you know moved through the banking network. Uh, without getting too detailed here uh, in the country, um, what will typically happen is you know the payroll company or the payroll will be processed and honored. Uh, but at that point, the processor will typically go back and recoup the funds from the small business uh, yes. owner. Yes, but, but the important thing, uh, which I thought, um, uh, what I thought was really nice and part of, uh, is that they paid the employees. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's pay, uh, the company the. Uh, the processor paid the employees and then went back to the small business. Uh, went back to the small business for the money, uh, which I thought was uh, really good of them. Is that a normal practice? Yeah, in in, in general, um, you know, ADP, you know, we we think it's very important, um, you know, for small business clients. We know we know cash flow can be an issue for small business clients. Um, so very often, what we're seeing here is. It's not that the small business doesn't, you know, ultimately going to have the money. It's more an issue of payrolls due and there may be a lag because their check hasn't cleared the bank. You know, they may have gotten a check from a, uh, you know, a large customer. Uh, and so uh, very often, you know, we go ahead and we'll, we will process that for the small business and then we will, you know, like I said, we'll get the money back from the small business and we will, you know, debit their account. Uh, so yes, I mean we recognize how important it is for small businesses to um, you know pay their employees and keep their employees uh, happy. The one thing I did learn uh, over the years was that the taxes, uh, if you if you don't pay the taxes, the employment taxes, 
the, the IRS can really go after you and pierce the corporate veil to get at the small business owner. Am I right on that point? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, you as the, like I think I was saying earlier, you as the small business and the small business owner are ultimately responsible for, um, you know, the taxes that are due to the IRS. Uh, and, yes, there are, you know, the IRS can go after you, you know, personally, obviously, if you've done something fraudulent, um, you know, they can come after you. Oh. You're on a roll, so tell us a couple of more things, uh, Chris, because I, I know our audience would uh, – I know I'm learning a lot, so please continue <laughs> a little bit longer. Sure. Um you know, I think we also talked about, um, you know, other areas. You know, I think I talked a little bit about, um, you know, we get questions around breaks, too. You know, do I have to pay employees for breaks? Uh, so first off, uh, you know, the federal, the Fair Labor Standard Act, you know, the, that governs all this stuff I'm talking about in terms of hourly and salaried employees, you know, it isn't, doesn't really require employers to provide, you know, rest breaks or meal periods. But, you know, keep in mind, you know, everything I've said here, you know, there are state laws uh, and local laws that govern everything i said. And I should have also mentioned that, in general, the rule is whichever law provides the most favorable treatment to the employee is the law that's going to be upheld. So if the federal, state, or local levels are in conflict, whichever one provides the best treatment to the employee is the one that's going to be you know, observed. So we're talking about, you know, rest breaks, for example, or any break in that matter. Like, there could be state laws that would govern that, but suffice to say, you know, if any, if you have like a, a break that's 20 minutes or less, you know, the DOL pretty much says you don't have to pay the employee. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, you know, you must pay the employee for those rest breaks. If it's 30 minutes or more without interruption, meaning you know, you can't call the employee back on the floor, you know, that is considered a, you know, a meal break, and then you don't really have to pay, um, you know, for that longer that longer period. But we often get questions of things like, you know, for example, like if, you want, if your employees take smoke breaks, you know, do I have to pay my employees for smoke breaks? And, again, this is another area where, you know, there's no law that says you have to give employees smoke breaks, what you can do is you can say to your employee, um, you know, let's, uh, you know, um, use your normal breaks to cover your smoke breaks, and those would be, you know, treated as part of, you know, if they're less than 20 minutes, you'd have to pay them for them. Uh, you know, we also get questions about, well, what happens if, you know, I send my employee out for lunch and, you know, we have to bring them back on the floor before they're 30 minutes, and at that point, you know, you've interrupted their meal period and it becomes a paid break. Um, you know, another area we've been getting a lot of questions on, and I don't know if your listeners have been keeping up with this, is around some of the changes that the DOL is proposing, the Department of Labor is proposing around changing, you know, how we define salaried versus hourly employees. Uh, and what they're doing is they're proposing increasing that minimum threshold, uh, which is like $455 a week to, to $970 a week. And so what that's going to do is, that's going to reclassify a whole group of today people who are considered, you know, salaried workers and make them non-exempt. Uh, and so what does this mean for, you know, the people on the phone is, you know, we're going through comment period now or we just finished the comment period. Uh, and then assuming this goes forward, which we think it will, you know, you're going to be faced with potentially having to reclassify, you know, workers who were, you know, below that threshold as non-exempt and start paying overtime on them. Or potentially have to, you know, increase their salary uh, to the, you know, to the higher threshold. That's really interesting. I hadn't realized that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the DOL had, had issued this proposal back in July, and like I said, it was in comment period and just ended. Uh, and and they actually think, I mean, part of the rationale is they haven't increased this threshold since 2004, uh, so they feel that it's, you know, it's long overdue. Um, but it's going to, you know, basically, you know, 4.6 million people, by their estimate, are now going to be potentially classified as exempt workers. Or, I'm sorry, non-exempt workers, uh, and will now be eligible for overtime. So again, this goes back to my point earlier about, 
you know, making sure that you, you know, keep accurate records of time. So if you have employees who are, you know, near that threshold, you know, my counsel to you would be to start, you know, keeping accurate time records around those employees just so you understand what your exposure could be. Uh, you said started the earlier saying that there's a national payroll week yeah. coming up. Yes. Yeah, so, well, it just passed. It started on Labor Day and went that week of Labor Day, uh, September seventh oh. through the eleventh. Um, and the national payroll week is you're, you're really a, a chance to celebrate all the professionals who uh, you know provide the paychecks you know for all the Americans in the country and and you know keep us all paid. Uh, so it's our chance, you know, it's a chance for the country to thank all those professionals for their dedication and service. Well, uh, well one more thing that came up, uh, I was over the weekend speaking with somebody in which the bookkeeper, uh, had, they were still, uh, I was mentioning that you were going to be on the program. They're, mm -hmm. they're, up until recently, they were still issuing the payroll checks and having the bookkeeper to do it manually until they found out that she had been issuing a check to a fictitious employee for almost two years. Yeah. I guess those days are pr pretty much going to go by the wayside over time. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, you mean in terms of uh, like fraudulent, uh, uh, you know, the example you gave, like a fraudulent bookkeeper uh, yeah. uh, fictitious employee checks? I mean, you know, technology, you know, is is creating greater visibility for, you know, so first of all, small businesses have greater access to technology today than they've ever had in terms of accounting and, you know, the types of payroll solutions that are out there. Um, so we've seen a shift in the marketplace from people doing, you know, what we call manual paychecks, uh, you know, so doing it by hand. You know, we've seen that part of the market you know, slowly shrink over time. Uh, and so, you know, there's much greater visibility small businesses have into what's going on in their financial situation. So, yes, I would agree that, you know, yes, there will be people who always try to game the system, um, you know, and, 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 and do things like that. But I would say over time that that particular example you're citing would, would start to go down. Well, can I ask you one more question? Sure. Uh, a, a lot of, I was told that a lot of companies are providing, instead of checks, are providing uh, debit cards hmm. to their employees for the money. Yep. Uh, are you seeing that as a trend? Yeah, we've um, ADP's had a, uh, uh, we have a pre or a, um, a debit card called A Line. Uh, and we offer this as a service to, uh, you know, companies of all size, not just small businesses, but, you know, mid-sized companies, national-sized national, national size companies. Uh, and really the advantage of a, a pay card like that is it's really designed for, you know, the unbanked or underbanked. Uh, and what I mean there is, you know, there's a good chunk of the population or a, a chunk of the population today who doesn't have bank accounts. Uh, and so they have to go to a check cashing agency to, you know, they're not getting direct deposit, right? They're getting paid by a paycheck. Uh, and they're going to have to go to a check cashing agency or some other place to get that money. The advantage of a, you know, card like A-Line is that, you know, it's a secure way of, of putting money on in that vehicle, you know, that, that debit card that, that they can use at ATMs, that they can use as a charge card. You know, it allows them basically to have, you know, all the services of banking without really have setting up a bank account. Um, I think it's a great boon, particularly for lower-income people. Uh, I was in the in the line uh, to the grocery store the other day, and the person in front of me was using a, a debit card, and I, I asked her about it, and uh, we managed to communicate uh, my broken Spanish and her broken English. And uh, she she said that's how she got her paycheck, and I, I thought it was fascinating. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, you're you're a font of information about payroll, and I, I, I'm glad you came on tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Thank and thank you to all your listeners uh, for listening to me. It was a, it was a pleasure and an honor to have this chance to talk to you guys. Come again. Uh, 
Well, come before National Payroll Week next year, and we'll talk <laughs> further. All right. Well, looking forward to it. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience and profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.